And please take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Now, our summer series is coming to a close. Uh, we have this Sunday, next Sunday, and then Labor Day weekend Sunday. Uh, beginning this fall, we're going to start a new series, and that series will be in the book of Matthew. So we really look forward uh, to looking into that important book. I think you'll find it to be a fascinating study. Um, for those of you who are new to us, who have just started coming this summer, normally we take a book of the Bible and we work our way through, and that will be the case in the fall. But uh, it's been a great series going through this changed mind, changed lives theme this summer. And as I thought about what to share in these closing weeks of this series, I thought about the importance of the power to change. You know, a lot of times as churches, we're pretty long on telling people what to do and maybe a little short on telling them how to do it. And I certainly don't want to be guilty of that. I want us to understand the importance of depending on the Spirit of God to see real change take place in our lives. You see, we can try in our own flesh and our own strength to have change be a part of our lives, but let me tell you something, we will fall short. If we only try to change in our own strength, we will reform for a while. But lasting change is unsustainable apart from the power of God. And that's what we want to see as we look into this text that we're looking into this morning. Now, the text begins in the 15th verse by talking about the importance of wise living. In fact, the first couple of words really leap off the page at us as we think about this. Look at Ephesians 5 verse 15, and it says this, look carefully. Now, I'm going to let you in on a guilty little pleasure of mine. I love watching fails. As a matter of fact, when I'm in the restaurant and I'm watching Chive TV or something like that that they have on the screen, I don't carry on a very conversation because I like watching people wipe out. It's part of my sin nature, I guess, that I need to abandon. But one of my favorite fails, I guess because I don't like people doing this, are the fails when somebody's looking at their cell phone and they walk into something or fall over something because they're not looking around at their surroundings. They're looking distractedly at their cell phone. And as I thought about that in regard to looking carefully in this text, I thought about how we as believers can so easily be distracted by the things around us. As believers, we should strive toward living wisely. That should be the goal of every believer. And in order to do that, we have to walk carefully, not as unwise people, but as wise. Again, look at this 15th verse. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. You know, the Scripture is calling us to live differently. The book of Ephesians can be broken into two parts. In the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, we find that the Word of God shares with us deep theological truths. It builds our knowledge base of who God is and who we are in light of God. But then when we come to the fourth chapter, the fourth chapter 
begins with a challenge to us all to walk worthy of our calling, to live differently than the world around us. And here, the Apostle Paul is building on that idea in the fifth chapter. And after he talks in the previous verses about the importance of being awake, of not mailing it in when it comes to our Christian walk, but understanding the importance of pursuing God, we come to this challenge that we find here in the 15th verse to look carefully. Now, what does it mean to look carefully? The original Greek word that is translated look carefully here in our English Standard Versions is a word that means to give great care or diligence to completing a task. Now, probably all of you have worked somewhere where you've heard somebody say, well, that's good enough for who it's for. Sort of a slipshod job, not really giving much effort or care to what's being done, but just this idea, well, it's done, sort of, we can move on. That's not the way we should live our Christian lives. We need to live our Christian lives in a way that looks to God and looks carefully at what we're doing, and then we need to run it through the filter of, is what I'm doing wise or unwise? Now, let's talk about what that means for a moment. When we live as unwise people, what does it mean? Well, wisdom carries with it the idea of looking to God, seeking His truth, taking the truths of God and applying them to our life and our life situations. That's what a wise person does. An unwise person is just the opposite. They sort of fly by the seat of their pants spiritually. Whatever happens, happens. I'm not really going to consider God in the things that I do, the decisions that I make. I'm just going to go through life and see what happens. James gives us a comparison contrast between the two approaches of wisdom and lack of wisdom when he writes in the third chapter of James, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So in other words, your wisdom is going to be demonstrated by what you do, very much in keeping with the rest of James's theme in that book. But then in the 14th verse, it goes on to say this, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. An unwise person operates by their sinful nature, evidencing bitter jealousy, selfish ambition. The text goes on. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. So James is really talking about the end game of two approaches to life. One is the approach of wisdom where I look to the things of God, the truths of God, and I pursue those things. And the other one is a life that doesn't even consider the things of God. It just walks through life and does what it's going to do. The end game for that approach is disorder and every evil practice. 
Then he goes on to talk about the wisdom that is from above. In verse 17 he says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Now I ask you this morning as a child of God, which path would you rather follow? If we go into default position and we don't really think about God and we just kind of go through life sleepwalking, we're going to be the wisdom that does not come down from above. The wisdom that comes down from above requires us to look carefully, diligently, to look at the things of God and see how I can apply them, how I can live these things out. This is what God calls us to do in that wise living that should be all of our goals. But then he goes on in the next part of this passage to remind us of something very important. And that is this, the window of opportunity for us to have wise living is really short. Look at the next verse, verse 16 in Ephesians chapter 5. And after this call to not live unwisely but wisely, the Scripture goes on to say, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Now, I like the way the ESV catches the sense of what the Apostle Paul is saying in this text, that we want to make the best use of our time. But in the original language, the word that best captures the idea of this thought is redeeming the time. Now, what does it mean to redeem the time? It means that we look at an opportunity that God presents to us and we seize it. We act on it. As a matter of fact, the word that's translated time in this text means a season, a, a longer duration. And so what the Word of God is telling us is this. God presents us with opportunities as His children that are limited opportunities. These are limited windows. And when God presents us with one of those opportunities, we want to redeem it. We want to seize it. We want to take it for God's use and His glory. That's the idea. You know, for many, they look at the Christian life and they don't think about the limited window that we have. We look at life and we say, well, I've got so much more life ahead at a certain age, right, when we're young. And I would hear older people talk about how fast time passed, and I would say, they don't know what they're talking about. Time is slow. Well, this month I hit 63, and I'm here to tell you, time is fast. It comes along quickly, doesn't it? And the older we get the more the calendar gets put on turbocharge and things just fly by. When you were younger, we'll say, well, you know, I'll get serious about my walk with the Lord when I'm a little bit older. I'm going to sow my wild oats while I'm young. And then we get married and we have kids and we say, well, you know, <laughs> I'm so busy with the job and, and with raising the kids that I'll get serious about my walk with God when the kids grow up and they're out of the house. Well, the kids are up and out of the house, and then you have grandkids. And then you have other responsibilities. 
And then, well, when I retire, that's when I'll really get serious about serving God and about doing things that are pleasing to God because I'll have all the time in the world to do that. <laughs> Guess what? We don't always anticipate what retirement is going to be like, do we? I have retirees tell me all the time I'm busier now than when I worked. Or I have others who didn't have the unintended health consequences that they experience during their retirement. And they're shocked because all the things that they had laid out and planned, poof, they've gone away. We can't know. So what I'm saying to you is this. We need to seize the window of opportunity that God gives us now. Whatever stage of life you're in, seize that opportunity. That's what the Word of God is challenging us with in this text. And look at the reason. I was a little shocked when I saw the reason for making the best of my time. Look at what it says, because the days are evil. Now, what does having a time where I'm living in evil days have to do with seizing the opportunity? And you know, as I started really praying about this and thinking this through, I came to a couple of conclusions. Number one, seizing the opportunity because the days are evil when we look around us at our co-workers, our neighbors, our family members who are without Christ, these evil days are numbered for them and they will go into a Christless eternity in hell. And I know that's not politically correct to say, but it's sure theologically correct. And I need to think about the windows of opportunity that I have to share the gospel with them. This limited window that we have shares with us that we are a light to this dark world. The book of Philippians reminds us that we're to do all things without grumbling or questioning. In other words, I'm to represent Christ well in the way that I live. And then look at this, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. In other words, I'm to live differently. I'm not to buy into the crooked generation in which I live and live like them because I have a purpose. And that purpose is right at the end of that verse, among whom you shine as lights in the world. If I am not different from the world, I will not stand out. And if I do not stand out from the world, I cannot speak with authority to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Something else. Sometimes in living in dark days, it's easy to allow the darkness to influence us. And we can become like those around us, stunting our spiritual growth. When Paul spoke to the Romans, he said this, Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Now, I want you to think about what the Apostle Paul is communicating to these people in Rome. They were sleepwalking through their Christian life, and they were becoming like the world around them. Lethargy, complacency, 
would have characterized these people. This is very similar to what the Apostle Paul said in the 14th verse, right in the text that we're looking into. Because there, in verse 14 of Ephesians 5, he said, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So we, as believers, can buy into the world around us. We can live like the world around us. And what we forget is that limited window. It's past time for us to wake from our sleep because our salvation is nearer than we, when we first believed. Now, here, many Bible scholars, and I would agree, believe this is referring to the return of Christ. Christ could return at any time. I have no guarantee how long I'll have to get my messed up life straightened out. And so the Word of God tells us, now's the time. Do it right now. Don't put it off. Look at verse 12. It says, the night is far gone the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Now, here, Paul is talking to believers. And what he's saying to the believers is, stop allowing wickedness, darkness, to characterize your life. You are children of the light. Put on the armor of the light. And then he goes on in verse 13 and says, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Powerful verse, powerful passage. This is how God wants us to live wisely. Now, as the text goes on in Ephesians, we find two keys to walking wisely. And I want us to look at the first key. Uh, by the way, there is an extra three-letter word, for after Lord there. The uh, delete key didn't go far enough when I revamped this. But let's talk about what this is. First of all, the key to living wisely is the will of the Lord must be understood and pursued. When we look at it, we need to pursue something and then we need someone to give us the strength to continue. That's what we find in these two verses that we're looking into right now. Verse 17 very simply says this, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, there's a comparison contrast here between living foolishly and being one who pursues the knowledge of God's revealed will, the Word, and taking the principles that we learn in the Word of God and applying them practically to our lives to live them out. That's the idea. Now, what does it mean to live foolishly? The word translated foolish in our English Bibles carries with it the idea of being mindless, ignorant, rash. It carries with it the idea of a total disregard for God and His teachings. Now, what's shocking about this in this text is this. Paul is addressing believers. Is it possible for a believer to live foolishly? Read the New Testament. Read the epistles that were written by Paul and Peter and John and James. Each one of them has to address 
foolish living that was done by believers of their time. It is entirely possible for a believer to live in a way that disregards God, mindlessly going through life, ignoring the things of God. Here, the Word of God is calling us to think differently, to move in a different direction, to abandon foolishness. In our culture, we want to do our own thing, and we give passing thought to what God says about things on Sunday or when we're with other believers, but what about when we're away from believers and we're in the world, in the workplace or the neighborhood or some other place? Are we looking to the things of God, the truths of God, or are we living foolishly? The Word of God is calling us not to live in that way. Do not be foolish, but, strong word of contrast there, understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, what does the Bible mean when it says we are to understand what the will of the Lord is? Of course, the will of the Lord refers to His revealed will, I believe, in this text. And understanding the Word of God means that I study it. You know, Dan had mentioned Sunday school uh, where we're going to be studying how to study the Bible. One of the most valuable classes I had as a high school student, I, I went to a small Bible college that was a 15-20 minute drive from my home. I had fulfilled all of the responsibilities I had to graduate from high school early, so I got a half a day off to go to a Bible college. And I did that. And one of the first classes I took was a class on how to study the Bible. It opened up the Word of God to me so that I could understand it. In fact, a lot of the principles that I use in teaching God's Word today came from that little class. It's so important for us as believers to see the Word of God as something that we're to grow in our understanding of. And that requires discipline, it requires work, it requires humility that we come to the Word of God and say, God, show me, teach me what you would have me learn today. We're called on to understand the Word of God. Think of it in this way. Understanding means that we take the principles of knowledge that we've accumulated and we build them together into a cohesive thought that influences our life. Think of it in this way. You all worked puzzles, I'm sure. And the puzzle doesn't make sense when all of the pieces are scattered all around. Now, each piece has a part, and it makes sense in and of itself. But until you start taking those pieces and start fitting them together, you don't get the big picture. Well, that's the way it is with the Word of God. We need to take the pieces of revelation that God gives us, and we need to fit them together into a cohesive picture of the will of God and build understanding on that truth. This is what God is calling us to. And listen, this isn't an isolated passage of Scripture that talks about the importance of understanding the will of God. Paul said this to the Colossian church, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking 
that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in spiritual wisdom and what? Understanding. As to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So how do we pull it off? How do I walk in the way that God would have me walk? I grow in my understanding of His will. I study the Word of God. I learn the Word of God, but then I also apply the Word of God. Again, I I love the book of James. And James challenges us with this. Be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like the man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in all he's doing. We want to be the person who understands the Word of God, the will of God, and implements it in our life. Now, the best part of this passage is the last part. How do I do that? How do I grow in my understanding of the Word of God? How do I have the power to take what I learn in the Word of God and apply it to my life? Look at verse 18. What we see in this text is the need to willingly yield to the Holy Spirit's filling. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. And then this very short phrase that is power punched, it says this, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, what we see here is a comparison contrast between two approaches. One is to be under the influence of alcohol. When we are under the influence of alcohol, what happens? We lose our filter. We lose our good judgment. We lose the ability to really make wise decisions. In fact, The Word of God says, do not get drunk with wine, because when we are drunk, what happens? It leads to debauchery. Now, what is debauchery? This is rendered different ways in different translations. The King James says excess. The New American Standard says dissipation, which is hard to say and hard to understand. What does it mean? It means an abandonment to self-control. It means going headlong into sinful living with the excuse, I didn't know what I was doing, I was drunk. So the warning here is, don't be filled, controlled by these things. But then there's this sharp contrast. We aren't to be filled by these things, but we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now when the Word of God is calling us to be filled with the Holy Spirit... The word filled carries with it the idea of being filled to the top, filled completely. In other words, what it's saying is this. The idea is if you have a a, a clear glass and you fill it with a colored liquid, what happens? The clear glass takes on the properties. It, it, It shows what's on the inside. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, what it means is we are showing that the Holy Spirit is in control of our lives. And we are filled with the Holy Spirit by yielding to the Holy Spirit. So let's put this out practically. 
I look at my life and I see that it's out of control. I look at my life and I see sin that characterizes a lot of the decisions that I'm making. And I look at it and I say, man, I don't want to do these things. I don't want to subscribe to these things. But I just keep going back. How do I get out of this? How do I step off of this crazy merry-go-round and get to a place where I can grow? And I believe the answer is given us right here in this text, and that is by a yieldedness and dependence to the Spirit of God. Now, I first came across this passage of Scripture when I was in college. And I was involved in Campus Crusade for Christ, and they talked about the importance of being filled with the Spirit, and they introduced me to an idea that is called spiritual breathing. And spiritual breathing very simply carries with it the idea of confessing our sins, which is exhaling, and asking God to control us by His Spirit, which is inhaling. That's the idea. It's a simple concept, but it changed my life. What I started to do as I recognized sin was confess and say, God, I, I have been guilty of sinning in this area, and, and I agree with you. This is what confession means, to agree with God. I agree with you that what I have done is wrong. And I ask you to change me in this area of my life by the power of your Holy Spirit. So I would ask God to fill me with His Spirit, inhaling. And the result of having a life that is yielding to the Spirit of God and seeing the Spirit of God work in our lives is the fruit of the Spirit. Think of the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22, we saw this last week, but it bears repeating. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law. When I am filled with the Spirit, the evidence will be what the Spirit produces in my life. What people will see when they see me is the work of the Holy Spirit in me and through me to produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So God wants us to live in that way. Under the direction and empowerment of the Spirit of God producing these things. In fact, what God wants us to do is to continually be filled by the Spirit. Now, let me explain something. The moment I trust Jesus Christ as my Savior, I'm indwelt by the Spirit of God. It's a once and for all thing. Happens the moment of belief. I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit. I'm baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. One-time deal. But when it comes to the filling of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit is a moment-by-moment, day-by-day dependence on the Spirit of God. And I can move in and out of being filled by the Spirit by my choice as to do I yield to my sin nature or do I yield to the Spirit of God. 
When we are filled by the Holy Spirit, what we are called to do is yield to the Holy Spirit, not to our sin nature, not to our sinful inclinations. And so God is calling us to live in this way. And when we live in this way, the Scripture describes it as walking in the Spirit. In the book of Galatians chapter 5, it says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. A little bit later in that same chapter, it says this, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So consistency in being filled with the Spirit means to walk in the Spirit. And this is what we're called to. So as a follower of God, how do I implement this? We introduced the idea just moments ago of spiritual breathing. I want to revisit it with Scripture. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 calls us all to confess our sin. It says, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confess in the original language is a Greek word that means to speak the same In other words, not just that I lie and I say, okay, I lied, let's move on, but agreeing with God about what that lie is. God, that that is an affront to you. It dishonored you. I agree with you that that is sin. That's the idea of confession. As believers, we need to come clean with God when it comes to our sin if we're going to experience the filling of the Holy Spirit. So once I've confessed my sin and I look and I say, I don't want to be engaging in that sin any longer, what do we do? We turn to the Spirit of God. And I want you to look carefully at this text. It says, but be filled with the Spirit. Filling is something God does to us. That's the idea. It is God doing the action of filling us. God in the person of the Spirit filling us, controlling us taking our lives and making them what He wants to be. But we have involvement in what He does to us. And our involvement is being an open vessel, saying, yes, please, come fill me. Come take control of my life. The Word of God gives us a very clear promise about God answering prayer when it comes to the will of God. This text clearly establishes that it's the will of God that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. So, when we look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, an important passage pertaining to prayer, it says this, this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And we know that He hears us in whatever we ask. We know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. So, let's take our puzzle pieces and put them together. What the Scripture is saying is, we express to God, I want to be filled by Your Spirit. I want to be controlled and directed by the Spirit of God in the way that I conduct myself and the, the decisions that I make. God, I need You. According to the Word of God, God will answer that prayer. So my encouragement to you this morning is, don't live as unwise, live as wise. Understand what the will of the Lord is, and that will is that you be filled with the Holy Spirit. When we see a church 
that functions according to the filling of the Holy Spirit and individual lives that are submitting and yielding to Him, we will see revival take place in the church and in our personal lives. I'm convinced of that. God has called us to it. How will we respond? Heavenly Father, thank You for this text. Thank You for the reminder that it is to us all that You have called us to live wisely, but then You not only call us to live wisely, You provide the means to do so. God, may each person in our fellowship this morning understand the truths and the principles of dependence on your Spirit and walk as those filled by the Spirit of God. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.